following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 13. This... Uh, Today is our last sermon for this run of the Curious series. Uh, We'll come back to it in a couple years, and we'll deal with whatever weird stuff is going on at that point. Uh, Of course, that being if King Jesus hasn't cracked the sky open by then and, and called us up out of this dumpster fire humanity has caused with our sin. Amen? So, a couple years from now, we'll come back and uh, we'll... (laughs) We'll see what else you guys drag me into then, okay? Amen. Uh, Next week, as I told you last week, we're going to start the book of Galatians. That will carry us into 2022 with a break for Advent uh, near the beginning of December. Okay? So that's the forward-looking plan. Uh, For today's question, I'm going to need everybody to chillax, but for different reasons. Okay? And what do I mean by that? Uh, well, first of all, I'll just I'll give you the question. The question we're working on today is, what is the mark of the beast? What is <laughs> the mark of the beast? Amen. Dan, will you run up here real quick? I need to uh, show them something, and I need your help. Give Dan a hand for being brave and not running the other way. Okay, so here's why I have Dan here. If at any point during the sermon today, you see someone around you getting anxious or kind of angsty, you have my permission to reach over with your index finger and thumb, turn this way so they can see, and and put it on their earlobe and just kind of rub it like that, gently. Okay? Thank you. That's all I needed. Give him another hand. Um, Okay, (laughs) so just calm him down. Little goose fraba there, all right? Uh, Here's why I'm anticipating some angst or anxiety today, all right? So let me tell you why I think we may have that going on. If you're a newer believer, okay, you may have just heard the term Mark of the Beast for the first time, and you're like, hold on, there's a beast? What What the heck does that mean, right? Okay, so that could be where you're at. If that's you, okay, and you feel in over your head as I'm teaching today, it's okay, all right? Here's what I need you to know. The, The big point of the book of Revelation is that Jesus wins in the end, okay? And if you're on his team, that means you win, okay? So I want you to keep that in mind, amen. I want you to keep that in mind as we study today. And if you feel lost at any point, uh, we can follow up and and help you later on, okay? Uh, That's all right. Now, if you're someone who's been a believer for a longer period of time, you probably have some ideas around this. and, And depending on how those ideas were formed or what teaching you've heard, you might hear some things today that challenge what you thought you knew, okay? Nobody's really excited about that, are they? (laughs) I can tell, good. So here's, I need some of you, you know, crusty old school Christian soldiers to remember also this, all right? There are a lot of folks with very little framework for understanding any of this. So, So at least half of this sermon is going to be me building a framework for knowing how to even approach Revelation, much less this question specifically about the mark of the beast, okay? And so 
For some of you, it may feel like it's a lot of prefacing, but my instinct is, with perhaps the exception of very few of you, we can all use at least some help, if, if it's only a refresher, for getting the lay of the land before marching into Revelation and, and making any strong arguments. Amen? Okay. Um, now, just to be perfectly clear, we're, so we're going to read um, all 18 verses of Revelation chapter 13, but I want to make sure I'm clear just in case. The earlobe thing was a joke. So if you're a weirdo and would actually do that, keep your hands to yourself today, all right, and learn how to read a room because that was a joke. All right, don't touch anybody's ears for the love of God, please. All right, but do, do feel you know, free to pray for the people around you if they get real shifty in their seat and it seems like maybe they're amping up. All right, amen. Let's read Revelation 13. This is gonna be fun. All right. Revelation 13, we're going to start in verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems. I think kind of like a crown, but it's, it's a sign of authority, uh, normally jewel-encrusted, okay, if you don't know what a diadem is. And on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and his fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is those who dwell in heaven. It was also given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. All who dwell on the earth, the inference there is all those who aren't following God, like the rest of everyone else will worship him, okay? Everyone whose name, and it makes that plain, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to earth, to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Praise God for his word. Amen. 
Now, before we get in and deal with any of these details, here's some things to know. You've got to build a framework here, okay? The Apostle John is the author of the book of Revelation, and he received these instructions and visions from Jesus while exiled to a small prison island called Patmos, and he was exiled there because he refused to stop preaching the gospel, okay? Now, whether this is your first time reading in Revelation or not, you may be wondering if there was peyote on the Isle of Patmos. Because there's some wild stuff in here, okay? And the answer is, I don't know if there was peyote on the Isle of Patmos, but John was not high when he wrote this. That's not the explanation for what we see here. Uh, But this book is different than much of the rest of the Bible. It is apocalyptic, and it relies heavily on symbolic imagery to convey its truth. And and the purpose of that, it's not to be confusing, though sometimes it is confusing. Some of the purpose may have to do with the persecution that first century Christians were enduring. So in order for the the letter not, not to make that persecution worse, um, some of the things laid out here couldn't maybe be said plainly. But it could also be that this symbolic imagery allows for both near and future fulfillment of the prophecies it contains. Now, I'm not just going to jump over that and pretend everyone knows what I mean. So let me try to give you an example of both near and future. Or sometimes you'll hear things referred to as double fulfillment when it comes to prophecy, okay? Let me read you this portion of Isaiah, and I'm hoping at least some of you will will have an idea of what it's talking about, okay? Isaiah 40, verse 3, the voice of one calling out, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the uneven ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." The most famous part of that being the beginning. The voice of one calling out, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Any Bible scholars in here brave enough to yell out what you think that's talking about? I heard John the Baptist somewhere. Praise God for you, Bible scholar. All right. Yes, so it is commonly understood that this is a prophecy pointing forward to the one who would be out in the wilderness, covered in camel hair, eating locust and honey, making a straight way before Jesus, making a path for the Lord. Okay, so... Most people would agree that Isaiah 40, verse 3 is referring to John the Baptist, but also in its, in its timing and context, to read the rest of what Isaiah 40 is talking about, it is also talking about the return from Babylonian exile. So what does that mean? That means it had a near to the time it was prophesied fulfillment, but also a far fulfillment. That's not uncommon at all when it comes to biblical prophecy. Oftentimes biblical prophecy is multi-layered, okay? And it can, it can have... Fulfillment close to the time it was, it was said or written, and also far in the future. Okay? It's just one example of that. There's lots. But <clears throat> as, and as I said, that's known as near and far fulfillment, or, or sometimes you'll hear the term double fulfillment. Okay? I told you, I can't tell what's happening in here. Like, we need a framework to even go in and try to talk about the mark of the beast. So some of you are like, I already know all this. Well, hold on. Not everybody does, okay? And it's, it's a good reminder for all of us, because this stuff is, it is complicated. It's not, it's not impossible to understand, but it, 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 it takes some thinking. So 
Uh, but let me say this, and this is part of why this is so complicated. Not everybody even agrees on that principle of near and far fulfillment or double fulfillment. And that's especially true when it comes to the book of Revelation. So I want to give you one more reason we all have to have a lot of chill when it comes to Bible prophecy, and, and particularly the idea of Bible prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled, potentially, like out in front of us, all right? We got to really be humble, all right? Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because we have an example of what happens when you don't, and it's not good. The scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus, in Jesus' time, they knew the Old Testament like the back of their hand. They knew the prophecies in large part of the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, they knew those prophecies by heart. That They could rattle them off the same way you can rattle off the lyrics to your favorite song, right? They, you know, somebody, somebody started a portion of Scripture in, in the Old Testament prophets, the average Pharisee could just pick up wherever you started and just keep on going. But by heart, recite it to you, okay? What am I saying? I'm saying they were very familiar with the prophecies pointing forward to a coming Messiah, all right? But here's the problem. They knew what the prophecies said, Okay? But the way God fulfilled those prophecies took them off guard and surprised them. Okay? They weren't looking for God to come in the flesh and die in our place for our sins, setting up an eternal kingdom that's entered by, by faith and grace. They were looking for a military leader to come in and start a revolution against their earthly oppressors and, and make the, the nation of Israel a, 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 a geopolitical juggernaut, so to speak. That's, that's what they thought. Those Old Testament, they knew them by heart. They knew what all the prophecies said, right? But Jesus shows up and starts doing stuff way different than what they expected. What does that mean? It means we can, we can know what these prophecies say, but we need to be humble about the reality that God oftentimes doesn't do stuff within the boxes of our understanding. Amen. It's a good place to say amen right there. Like, I'm super glad I'm worshiping a God whose like, thoughts are higher than mine, you know, ways are better. You know, he outclasses me in every way, right? Like, that's awesome. Amen. I'm real happy about that. Um, and this point I'm making, it, it's especially true when it comes to understanding prophecy that may yet to be fulfilled. When that's the case, we must be exceptionally humble, Okay. And I'm going to go so far as to say this. Some of you might not like it, but there's going to be a lot of things some of you may not like today. So buckle up. Um, I mean this, though. I'm, I'm, I know what I'm saying, and I mean it. Anybody that you hear that they say that they know exactly what all of the imagery and numbers in Revelation mean, if they tell you they know what every bit of it means with 100% certainty, if they tell you that, you should ignore them. Absolutely. Brilliant theological minds have wrestled with this text for 2,000 years and there has not been anything close to consensus when it comes to all of the details. That should leave us in a place of humility. It should also leave us in a place of wondering if maybe sometimes we miss the point of the point on how we go at interpreting Scripture and or applying it. It's often true. The Pharisees missed the point and misapplied what it was God had written. We oftentimes do the same. Satan actually is unfortunately a master at getting us to, to disagree about things that are not the point and to divide over it. 
which he thoroughly enjoys because it weakens our ability to walk in the unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17, which is going to be part of what empowers us to fulfill the mission that God gave us in the earth and reflect the great power of the Holy Spirit existing among us and the love we're supposed to have for one another. What does that mean? It means check yourself, man, (laughs) right? I'm gonna run through some stuff today and, and, and some of you, you're gonna, you're gonna hear a part of it and be like, oh, I don't like any of that. Oh, but I think that's true right there. And here's what, I'm, here's what I want you to remember for the rest of today. It's very important. At whatever point you're like, oh, well, that's, that's the one right there. I, I like that the best and I think that's true. Somebody smarter than you and probably holier than you disagrees somewhere. Well, oh, I don't know if I like that. Well, okay. Let's, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Go back and humble yourself. Okay? <clears throat> Amen. Revelation, the book of Revelation is a favorite, the favorite for quacks and false teachers because, <laughs> somebody knows about that, amen, yeah, because they can tell you stuff like uh, Magog is Russia and, and, and the locusts in Revelation 9, those are helicopters and, and, and so many people are like, oh man, this guy is so smart. He knows, nobody else could tell me that, he knows what it is. Well, the problem with that, if, that, if that's a true, and that's, man, that's really pretty common, actually. That's unfortunately common. That, that, that's what that someone would try to tell you they know for sure. You know, t- Revelation 9 talks about these locusts given the power of a scorpion in the earth. Like, what the heck is, I don't know. Oh, those are, those are Apache helicopters with stinger missiles. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, if that's true, the problem is, that means this text had no practical application to the original seven churches it's addressed to, or anybody until 1917 when Russia became a country. Maybe, but probably not. Okay? Amen. I know. Listen. <laughs> yeah, amen. We're doing our best. This is, this is really hard because of the wide variance of familiarity folks have with the concepts. I'm doing my best to welcome everybody into this conversation, um, but also like cover the ground that needs to be covered. So... Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit will make up the gaps. Uh, Every generation since the first century when this was written has had events in the world, okay, countries and characters that seem to fit some of these descriptions. So, So we need to be honest and humble and take that into consideration as we read these things. You know what I mean when I'm saying that? Everybody since roughly 8095 when this was written, every generation has had something going on in the world that was like, ooh, that looks like that. We're there. And it doesn't help that John throughout the book says, let me tell you about some stuff that needs to happen soon. Rough, rough translation of what he's saying, right? Like, let me, t- let me show you some things that are about to happen. Well, yeah, but here's what's hard about that. Uh, elsewhere in the scriptures, you know, we hear that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, right? Like time is an interesting concept when we get to the divine. So soon is relative, okay? I don't know. And, and it could be that things did happen in a, in soon in a, in a like relative temporal timeline sense, but that it was a near fulfillment, but there's also a far fulfillment, potentially. That tends to be what I think, but I'm leaving room open for the fact that some of these other views absolutely have some validity and are, are faithful interpretations, okay? So we need to watch out for this. There's, there's an insidious enchantment Okay, that leads many people astray around esoteric or, or hidden knowledge. 
Okay, people very much like to think that they've been let into a select group that knows secrets that nobody else does. There's a temptation that comes with that, and it almost invariably leads to puffed up self-righteous pride. And a lot of stuff that has to do with supposed interpretations of Revelation is like that. You know, come, come follow my very like pet interpretation of this so that you can be one of the very few that God has let in to the secrets. You want to be in our secret club? Well, no, I don't actually. <laughs> Go away. away. Um, so, and here's, here's the thing, guys. I understand this. I know that this phrase, like, I know the only right way to understand this, to say that sounds way cooler than, well, like, here's some solid possibilities, but I'm not totally sure. Okay? I get that this one sounds a lot cooler. However, when it comes to the details of the fulfillment of future prophecy, the Pharisees would have been in group one, and Jesus did things in ways they would have never expected. Okay? So part of what I'm trying to tell you today is the right place to be is, here's some faithful options, but there's reason for me to maybe not be so sure. That's actually the, the, the safer place to stand. Okay? Um, and, and don't get pulled into the foolishness of somebody telling you different. So what does that mean today practically? Um, practically, it means if at any point as I begin to unpack this, if you're tempted, you're sitting there thinking, well, Pastor Vince, uh, my favorite YouTube prophet actually says, uh, or Pastor Vince, my favorite TV preacher actually said this about that. If, if that's going on in your mind, just just cork it and don't send me any YouTube videos because I'm not going to watch them. All right? It'll be a waste of a link on your part. I get it, man. And, and here's the thing. Your, your favorite teacher on this, they, maybe they're right. Maybe. As long as they're not telling you they're the only one that's right and they're 100% sure that all of their details are correct. If that's, if that's what they're saying, then get rid of that teacher. Quit listening to them. Okay? But some of what you've been exposed to, maybe, Yeah. If, it, if it's within like the realm, the, the safety bars of orthodoxy, sure. Maybe because it's not, it's not totally clear. Um, a lot of times people, <laughs> a lot of times it's a lack of knowledge makes people think they know more than they do. You know what I mean? That's, it's not just a humility thing. It's like they just don't know. Like some folks have just only ever been exposed to one way of seeing certain things. And so they think, well, well that's it not realizing there's people with just as legitimate or more sometimes pedigree to be commenting on the thing or, or, or interpreting the thing that, that see it differently. So, you're, you know, <laughs> you'll know after today. Amen. And, and I'm taking this much time to advocate for humility around this on, on purpose. And why? Why am I taking, why does this all sound like a bunch of preface? Why don't I just get into the text? Well, because the fruit, friends, the fruit of endless arguments and speculations around questions like, what is the mark of the beast? The fruit of that, all those arguments, it's rotten to the core. It's rotten to the core. Followers of Jesus have lost credibility over the centuries because of the tendency of many to name every new political boogeyman the Antichrist or call anything they don't like or understand the mark of the beast. Over time, you do that enough, it's like the boy that cried wolf. It's a bad look, okay? 
here's what we need to know. Just about every Roman Caesar, every Pope since the Reformation, and every President of the United States has been accused of being the Antichrist by somebody who claims special knowledge about it. Okay? Along with Hitler, Stalin, and others, which maybe seem more likely to fit the bill by some standards, but um, I'll just give you an example of how this works. There, there were there was a, a fairly big group of people that said the names, so three names, Ronald, Wilson, Reagan, okay, think about that, Ronald, Wilson, Reagan, each one of those names has six letters. So there was a bunch of people that decided Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist because each one of the three names in his name has six letters in it. How did that prophetic interpretation work out? <laughs> Not great. But there's a bunch of people super sure, super sure, right? <clears throat> and when it, when, it, when it comes to uh, the mark of the beast, we, we've had similar variety, okay? Uh, going all the, way back to, all the way back to like Roman coins, uh, there were some New Testament scholars, they suggested uh, the mark of the beast referenced in Revelation it has to do with the coins of the Roman Empire because they would have the, the Caesar's image stamped on it and you'd have to use that to buy and sell. Um, and and I'm gonna, when I get into some, some of the views here, possibly maybe there's some legitimacy to that, but it's, it's a stretch, okay? That one is, is the only one I would maybe say maybe of what I'm about to tell you. In the, in the 1960s, I'm talking about things that people were very, very sure was the mark of the beast, okay? The next one is credit cards, okay? In the 1960s, uh, there was a bunch of folks that claimed that um, the number 666 is you, you know, identified as the beast number in Revelation. When you broke it down in Roman, Greek, and, and the Babylonian alphabets, it, it appeared to spell out the word visa. <laughs> okay, now what is that even about? Let me just explain this very quickly. Because we, <laughs> there's, this, there's this practice called gematria. Okay, or gematria, depending on your pronunciation. And, and in ancient times, letters of alphabets were assigned with a number. That was true. And so there was a lot of this kind of stuff going on, all right? And some would even do it today. But what do I mean by that? I mean, think about like A would be one, B would be two, C would be three, okay? That's what I mean. Gematria, gematria, okay? And so that was, and it seems like, like maybe John is, is talking about something to do with that. Uh, but... <laughs> Um, man, you can, do you understand with how many letters and numbers there are, how many things you can make fit if you try hard enough? Right? I mean, one of the most common, you know, I'm going to explain this in a minute, but the most, some of you already know what it is. So in the preterist viewpoint of how to interpret this, that, that means, and basically that means they see most of this as having already been fulfilled in the past. One of the most common figures for the Antichrist is Nero, Emperor Nero. He's the one that burned Christians, used them as candles and all that crazy. So a lot of stuff fits, right? And, and in order, so to match up the 666 part, it's like they, you know, they'll take his, take his name in Greek and, and transliterate it to Hebrew. But you know, a lot of people that advocate for this idea that Nero, his name, when you use this gematria or gematria, it, it, it spells out 666, right? And, or, you know, it ends up, you end up, you add up all the numbers and it ends up, the sum of it is 666. And they're like, ha, ah, see, got it, solve the puzzle. Little do they tell you, man, 
They have to use like a variant spelling of his name, maybe drop a vowel, or you know, maybe what you know. It's, here's what I'm saying: it's any anything like this. Anybody that's telling you, oh, well, you know, if you see a bunch of math <laughs> tied to somebody trying to come up and tell you, what, oh, Obama or Bill Clinton or Ronald Reagan or whoever it is, and they got they got a bunch of math behind it, it's almost always basically like uh, saying, hey, the sky's green if you put on these green glasses. Okay, cool, <laughs> right? But that's not that helpful because the sky's actually blue. So, you know, when you got to like monkey with stuff a whole bunch and like really stretch to make it, and I get it, man. People, they think what John was doing here was, was dropping Easter eggs to solve a mystery. I'm not even sure that's what, what the intention was, but anyways, la-da-da. What else did people think was the Antichrist? Barcodes, UPC barcodes. A lot of people very convinced that was the mark of the beast, and that was going to usher in the ability uh, for an evil satanic government to control the markets. Uh, a lot of people, a social security number. Social security number is the mark of the beast. And so if you don't disavow your social security number, you're done for. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists think worshiping on Sundays is the mark of the beast. All right, so you're all done. It's Sunday. <laughs> okay. Um, what, am I, what is the point of me telling you? These constant speculations haven't helped the cause of Christ and they also haven't stopped, okay? With maybe the latest example being the COVID-19 vaccine, okay? And some of you are like, oh my gosh, he said it. Yeah, I did. But here's, let me be really, really clear, all right, about what I am saying and not saying. I am not going to comment on the efficacy or value of these vaccines, nor... Am I commenting on whether people should or shouldn't get them or the debate around how the government's going about trying to administer them, okay? Because that is not the point of this sermon and I don't think it's my place as a pastor to tell you how to think about that. And this is the part of the show where some of you might think, oh, he's a coward. He just doesn't want to... Here's the thing. If, what, if, if taking that position was because I'm scared... <laughs> um, that wouldn't make a lot of sense because literally taking the position I just took and telling you, I don't think it's my place as a pastor, nor is it the place of the pulpit to tell you how to think about that. That, that literally ticks everybody off because everybody has an opinion about this. And most people probably think I should jump on their side of the fence and rally around their ideas. And you're going to see in a moment as we begin to really break this down, part of why I have such a strong conviction about that. Because it seems that the devil likes to use an unholy union between government authorities and false religions to deceive God's people and deceive the people of the world. And unfortunately, this whole thing that should land squarely in the realm of medical decisions has become extremely politicized to the detriment of, of many people and because of a lot of foolishness. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, what I can tell you is that if the mark of the beast is a literal future thing and not part of the symbolism and imagery explaining the cyclical nature of how the forces of darkness seek to deceive people, if, if it is a, a real literal thing, it isn't going to be something ambiguous like credit cards, barcodes, or a vaccine. It will be very clear that it is a mark showing allegiance to the Antichrist. That's what I can tell you. Amen. You should be glad about that. You should be really glad that just because you, you know, 
go out to Kroger and scan something on the U-scan that you're like, oh, <laughs> you just committed yourself to the Antichrist, sorry. That's not how it's going to work, guys, okay? <clears throat> I may have shown my hand a little bit there in terms of my own interpretive framework for this book and this chapter, but what I want to lay out for you are the four main lenses people use for trying to understand both this book and this chapter. Uh, in doing that, I just want to kind of honorably mention a three-part series that Kevin DeYoung did on this topic in 2020. It may not be the first place that these ideas were so succinctly laid out, but I found it exceptionally helpful, and I'm indebted to him uh, for doing that because it was a lot of work. So thankful for that. just want to give credit where it's due. So I'm going to give you these four lenses, and, and what I'm saying is, make sure you understand what I'm saying. These four lenses, I believe, exist within the bounds of orthodoxy. And what do I mean when I say that? I mean... If you're unfamiliar with this kind of terminology, there are issues when it comes to doctrine and theology that are of first-tier importance, right? Um, that Jesus, Christ, is the only way to salvation, okay? If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. I would say that the Bible is actually God's word belongs in that bucket. I think the, tri the, the Trinitarian nature of God, pretty hard to actually understand what happened on the cross without that. So there's, there's a few things that they belong in a closed hand that if you don't believe them, you're not a Christian. But then there are other doctrines. You can think of them as, as second tier, perhaps, where faithful, genuine believers with good motives for what they're doing have, have come to the text and, and disagree about exactly how to interpret that. And when it comes to those things, we need to operate in humility and charity towards one another. Understanding that, the Pharisees knew their Bible better than any of you, and they were dead wrong about what they thought was about to happen. Amen. Okay. So the first lens I'm going to give you is called preterism. Preterism, okay? And I don't expect, there's no quiz after this. Some of you, I know you, 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 you have a lot of interest in this, and so you'll care about understanding these interpretive frameworks. For some of you, you're like, get to the application, man. Um, but <laughs> in any case, I need to serve everybody here, so... The first lens is called preterism. A strict preterist views the book of Revelation fulfilled in the past. Okay? With the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and the fall of the Roman Empire in the 5th century, that that's what you're reading about. That it all already happened. I want you to keep in mind that there is also a partial preterist approach and that, seems, that, that, that sees some of what we're reading here as having happened in the past and some yet to happen in the future. Um, as I said, I already kind of tilted my hand. That, that's, that's part of how I would describe the way I see Revelation. But I'm not trying to coax you onto on seeing it the way I see it. That's not what's necessarily important here. Um, and even, even the elders here have distinction in how we exactly see this. Because <laughs> if you really get in there and look at it, you're going to end up with, if you have any intellectual honesty with a, well, I'm not sure, <laughs> right? Uh, you know what you don't know, all right? Um, a lot of the imagery and descriptions match up and make sense when you use a preterist lens, when you're looking at events in the past and lining it up with things that we see mentioned in Revelation. But it tends to get dicey uh, when you get to the second coming of Jesus, the last judgment, and what seems like the final end of Satan and the forces of darkness. It's, it's pretty hard to see that having already happened. And there are those that, that would, would argue for that. And I, you know... I personally don't see it, but 
there are reasons. It's not just, you know, it's not that they have no verses or whatever. And so if, 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 you're, if you're a full, strict preterist, like, I can respect that. I disagree, but amen. Uh, the second is historicism. This view sees Revelation as, as a straight-line, chronological roadmap of how events will unfold, okay? And it kind of ignores the cyclical nature of the imagery and prophecies in the book. What do I mean by that? I mean, if, if you go through Revelation, you, you will see some repetition, okay? And some people deal with that by saying, well, yeah, these are very, maybe very similar things, but they're different, and it all lines out chronologically. I've heard this example given before. And, and this, this is going to, this example is going to, I'm using it to explain the difference here, and it may sound like I'm kind of pushing you one way, whatever. I'm doing my best here, because this is complicated. But for me, it's helpful not to think of Revelation as like, you know, uh, like movie film, you know, like, like the, the pictures coming across uh, the light all in a row, but to think of it more as, as like an art gallery, where you're, there's all these different images, and they're, and they're on the wall, and they some of them overlap or, or different views of the same thing, that's, that can help make sense of Revelation or, or get you to quit trying to make it fit. in Because like, if that's what it is, and it's not meant to be laid out as a chronological roadmap, then trying to do that with it is going to, you're going to have to like fudge some stuff or just whatever, ignore some things. So, but historicism is, is a view that really kind of tries to do that. Um, and, and because of that, I think this approach has led to a lot of false predictions and false teaching. Those of a his, kind of historicism uh, bend, they would tend to be the ones always looking for the next Antichrist, always looking for the mark of the beast, and, and probably falsely attributing, you know, throughout time, uh, you know, they, get, <laughs> they always, <laughs> they got the book of Revelation open in a calculator all the time, like, me, got it! I found the thing no one else ever found. Yay me. Okay. Futurism, as the name suggests, only sees chapters 4 through 22 of the book of Revelation as describing the time uh, right before the end of the world. So future looking. It, it does seem that some of what is described in Revelation is pointing to the very end of things. I agree with that. I think that's true. But there is good reason to think that some of what John wrote had application to the Christians going through real persecution from emperors claiming to be divine and their cult priests uh, in the first few centuries. That seems to very much line up with a lot of what you see written here. Uh, like historicism, futurism tends to interpret Revelation as, as a strict straight line chronology of events, um, kind of pushing aside the possibility um, that the visions John saw and wrote, that they overlap and they sometimes repeat, okay? So that's <clears throat> preterism, past, historicism, kind of long chronological roadmap. Futurism, we're looking forward to the things, also sees as a chronological roadmap. The last thing I'm gonna give you is idealism. And an idealist interpretation sees Revelation as mostly, almost entirely, a symbolic conflict between the forces of good and evil, so that means they're not looking for specific fulfillments in history or future, but for this battle to be happening this way throughout the generations. Like over and over again, Satan will try to bring government forces to power and wed them with false religions to lead people astray. And then those things topple 
and it, it seems like they're dead, they're wounded, but then they tend to seem like they rise again, maybe in another form. That would kind of, you see what I'm doing. That, that's part of what their point would be. <clears throat> uh, and the weakness with this lens is that it, it maybe leans too heavy into seeing all of Revelation as symbolic imagery with no expectation that any of the events of John's visions have actually happened or will actually happen. All right? So here's what I want you to know about that. I know for some of you that was excruciating because you at this moment don't feel like you care about it very much. I hope you will care about it at some point because it's important. Um, This book is in God's word and I believe it's here for a purpose. And having a framework for moving towards it uh, is helpful and being able to maybe help others with that is also good. So uh, I also want you to be humble and want you to know that whatever preconceived notions you have about it because of what you've been exposed to in terms of teaching isn't maybe the only faithful way to, to take a gander, all right? Amen. Uh, so here's what I want you to know. There are strengths and weaknesses to all these approaches and brilliant, genuine Jesus followers in each of those schools of thought. Amen. Okay? That's why here at Love City, we don't have a strict position on eschatology. What is that? It's the study of end things. We don't have a strict position on it here. We recognize humility is the most important part of any interpretation approach someone may take to the book of Revelation. What's the most important thing for me to remember if I'm trying to understand the book of Revelation, Pastor Vince? Humility, that's it. Stay humble, man. Because when people don't, they get in big trouble. I personally see validity, some validity in each of these approaches. For me personally, probably less value in historicism or strict preterism uh, than, than the other two. But as I said earlier, I believe the main point of Revelation is to encourage all believers through all generations that Jesus wins in the end. And to encourage us to stand firm in the face of whatever the forces of darkness may throw at us during our lifetime. Okay? That's the point of the book of Revelation. Now, whatever school of thought you come from, uh, there are some things, thankfully, that are agreed upon by most everybody when it comes to this chapter. So we're going to focus on those things, and I'll give you some faithful options on what the mark of the beast might mean. I told you most of this was going to be framework building and prefacing, and I meant that. So if you're looking at your watch, I promise this isn't going to take that long. Because it's more important that we are able to come and look at this right than, than it is you know, spending all day trying to pull apart what every little detail might be. Because what I'm trying to teach you is that's maybe not even the right approach. So, amen. All right, so back to, back to chapter 13. What the heck do we have going on here? Why did I read the whole chapter? Why couldn't I just read the part at the end? Come on, buddy. Well, it's because we believe context is important, all right? You got to know what the heck's going on before and after before you start trying to build doctrine or else you do goofy stuff, all right? Don't do that, amen. So verse one, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Oh, there's dragons in the Bible? That's awesome. So basically, most everybody agrees, all right? It'd be very hard to find somebody that doesn't think this dragon of Revelation represents Satan himself. Whether you're preterist, futurist, Idealist, most everybody understands that's the imagery there. So the dragon is Satan, okay? Then verses 1 through 10, they speak of a beast from the sea. A beast from the sea. 
And so many see this. And when I'm saying many, I want to say most, but I'm saying many to be careful. I think most is accurate. Most see this beast from the sea as the Antichrist and a representation of evil power wielded through the political realm. Okay? If you read the description here, you'll see that this... there's authority language, kind of earthly authority language, that it's, it's given to this beast by Satan. And so um, what this is not saying, let's be very careful, is that all politics or politicians are evil. Some of you are like, no, I do believe that. Well, that's probably too much. That's not what it's saying here, all right? This is not saying all politics or politicians are evil, but that Satan does use evil rulers to wage his war against God and his people, Okay? For sure, that's here. Uh, so some see this, this beast as an individual person. Some see it as kingdoms or countries that either have existed or will exist or both. All right. In any case, it seems that satanic and political power will even be able to cause the martyrdom of some Christians who won't bow to that power. Uh, we see that in verse 7. Okay. What does that mean? That means... We need to be prepared for that reality, the possibility of that reality. I know for some of you that's real scary and you don't want to think about it, but you should. Because just because we have lived thus far, if, I mean, you and I, if we're in here breathing, we've lived in a little section of history that's been relatively chill for the most part in, like, in comparison to the rest of the slivers of history. Um, doesn't mean... Wild stuff can't pop off, right? It can. We should be prayed up and thoughtful about that, okay? So that's the beast from the sea, widely understood to be the Antichrist, tied to some kind of either, either it's a, a person of political power or a, a country or something, but political power being wielded for the power in the forces of darkness. Verse 11 talks about a different beast. There's another beast from the earth. Some of you are like, what? There's two beasts? I didn't know there was two beasts. Yes, there's two beasts. All right, lots of beasts all through here. It's awesome. Uh, So this beast from the earth, all right, different from the kind of the political power of the Antichrist, many see this as the power of Satan wielded through religion. Again, either as a specific false prophet or false religions broadly, right? And, and, And so here's what I want you to know. There's some faithful Christians that see this as an antichrist person or like an antichrist government force or an antichrist like false or a false prophet, the second beast, or like a false religion. And from the point of the application and what we should come away with, it doesn't, to me, doesn't really matter which one it is. I just want to understand the mechanisms for how the forces of darkness deceive people. That's what I'm being led into here. And that's what I should be watching out for and understand and be prayed up about and make sure I know how to identify, okay? That's the real important point. So this false religious power seems to aid the first beast in its deception, convincing people to worship it instead of God, uh, and both of them ultimately pointing to the, the dragon, the, the source of all this power. And so something interesting to note is that in this dragon, the beast from the sea, and the beast from the earth, you see an unholy trinity. And, and there's a theme through Revelation and it's Satan's deception through trying to mimic God. It's almost as if in his pride and blindness and desire to overthrow the Most High, all that's true, but, but he still wants to, to try to rob from God's playbook. It's like he can tell that what God does works, 
So he's going to try to do stuff real close to it. Close enough that he can, he can pull people away and into deception. Here's what we need to know. Satan is a created being, not a creative being. I mean, he doesn't have the power to create. So much of what he does is a counterfeit of what he has seen God do. And something that we should remember is that all the greatest deceptions, all the greatest deceptions throughout history, unfortunately, look very close to the truth. So before I give you some biblically sound options for how to view the mark of the beast, let me give you some application, particularly if you tend to think that this is a real thing that's coming, if if you're in that kind of doctrinal camp, okay? The big point, the big thing we should come away with from an application standpoint is as as we see how Satan sets things up as as a mimic and a counterfeit of God, and that's the way he deceives people by trying to tell things very close to the truth or adjacent to the truth. If we we think of the ideas of, of counterfeit and how we prepare ourselves to not be duped, I think it's important, and you've probably heard this principle before, I think I've said it before, but it, it, there's not a better example I can think of than this to, to illustrate this point and give us application. What do I want you to do moving out of today's sermon? I want you to think like this. Government agents that are charged with trying to tamp down counterfeit of our money, right? Counterfeit bills and whatnot. There's There's hundreds, if not thousands of variations of different counterfeit out there. And so what somebody that's trying to train to be able to spot counterfeit, they don't train by trying to look at the hundreds or thousands of different counterfeit bills. That's not how you get good at spotting counterfeit. How you get good at spotting counterfeit is by spending a bunch of time looking at the real thing. Woo, that's a good word. Because that's really what I want you to understand here. The way you prepare yourself to not be duped, whether you're an idealist that sees this as a future kind of cyclical layout of how the forces of darkness and the forces of good do battle over time, or you see this as something specific that we're waiting to happen in the future, wherever you land on that, we do need to be wise as serpent, gentle as doves. We do need to know how the forces of darkness work and how we can position ourselves to not be led into deception. In either case, in any of these viewpoints, that's really the, the, the most important application. Don't be suckered by counterfeit, man. How do you do that? You keep your face pointed towards the real thing. Keep your eyes on the real thing. Keep your heart, mind, and affection focused on the real thing. The real thing is God, his son Jesus, and his Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Trinity. And their word is true. And their promises are true. And what they've called us to is true. And it's for good and for joy and for eternal purpose. Amen. <clears throat> Look at the real thing. Don't, don't, that's the problem with, with a lot of times, everyone that gets, they, they jump into the YouTube wormhole of all the different stuff. Spending your time being super focused about all the variant possible counterfeits out there, it leads to confusion. It leads to, it leads to pride. It leads to foolishness. It's not the way. And here's, especially because there's new counterfeits all the time. Like even if we could get a a whiteboard as big as that screen and write with little tiny words, every possible counterfeit way that the mark of the beast could show up or whatever, what, what this could possibly mean. If we could lay them all out, guess what? There will be a new one tomorrow. We'll need a bigger board. It's not, it's not the way, man. Look at the real thing and fake stuff won't trick you. Amen. 
<clears throat> this leads us to verses 16 and 18 in the crux of today's question. Okay? Uh, 16 through 18. Here we go. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the freemen and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. He provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let whom has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of man, and his number is 666. Okay. What is the mark of the beast? All of that thus far was to get to where I can answer your question. <laughs> All right. Ready? There's three basic options for how to understand this. You're welcome to land in any of these three, okay? The typical preterist view would see Nero or some other Caesar like Domitian as the Antichrist and their cult priests as the false prophet or second beast. Uh, There are accounts of people being branded or tattooed in those times as punishment uh, or to mark as slaves, so there could be something to that. This is, we're talking, this is first century bumping up right to when John wrote this in AD 95, okay? Domitian was ruling at that point, and the Roman Caesars continued for a couple hundred more years persecuting Christians in this way, all right? So a, a, a strict preterist would see all of that language as referring to something John was telling his, his contemporaries about, all right? Uh, famously, people were forced to burn a pinch of incense and declare that Caesar is Lord, uh, they could be imprisoned or killed for refusing. Many Christians were, all right? And as I said, that's all happening in the time John wrote this letter. So, typical preterist view, the mark of the beast was something that happened in that time period, um, and, and it may even had to do with using the coins, like I mentioned earlier, with the emperor's image on it. But basically, typical preterist is not looking forward for a mark of the beast that's coming. It's something that already happened, Okay. And, and I'm, I'm guessing that's not the approach most of you have been exposed to, okay? Um, ooh, I was going to crack a joke. I'm not going to do it, though. All right. <laughs> yes, Lord. Holy Spirit filter. Okay, um, the, typical futurist, <laughs> the typical futurist view uh, sees these as figures and events that have yet to happen. So the Antichrist and false prophet are yet to appear, and when they do, there will be a literal mark that people will have to choose to take or not. This is a typical futurist view. Some have theorized this could be some kind of tattoo or even a microchip, um, but if, if you tend to take this literally in that way, I would say a marking on the skin seems to be more in line. Like If that's the way you're approaching this, you should probably be looking for a mark on the skin more than a microchip, in my view. I, I'm not dying on that hill. As I said before, if this is the case, you won't have to wonder or guess. You're not going to show up on Judgment Day and God say, oops, you had a credit card or you bought something with a UPC or you got a vaccine for some illness away with you. That was the mark of the beast, okay? That's not how it's going to go down. It will be clear and there will be a choice that has to be made. I'm going to serve the beast. I'm going to pledge allegiance to the Antichrist by taking this mark, whatever it is, if that is a literal thing that is yet to happen, okay? Um. <clears throat> Amen. Why, why do I keep telling you that? So that you're not sitting there calling every new thing you don't understand or don't like the mark of the beast. Don't do that. It doesn't help what we're doing here. Like God's people. <laughs> Amen? Okay. The typical idealist view is that these things are symbolic. Interestingly, in places like Revelation 9 and 14, there is a mark on the forehead of those that love Jesus. Okay? Uh, you can go check that out. Very few people believe these are actual visible marks, but they're either invisible. Uh, it'll say that like the name of God and his son is written on our foreheads. 
very few people think those are visible. They think it's either invisible, so it's there, but it's invisible, or it's simply, it represents, it's symbolic imagery language that you belong to God, okay? And so there's many that think, oftentimes in the idealist ilk, but also there's futurists that would say this, probably also preterists, uh, that the mark of the beast is the same. It's imagery language, it's symbolic. It means that your mind and your actions will be aligned with the forces of darkness and only those worshiping the beast will participate in that system. So what am I saying? They're not looking for an actual literal mark, uh, but that this is, it's, it's symbolic and it's imagery and it's pointing you to a reality that you will be aligned with the forces of darkness and, and basically belonging to uh, those players, Okay. Uh, some idealists wouldn't even go so far as to see it as that specific. They see this as a general description of the cyclical process of evil human political powers and false religions uh, leading people astray. So typical idealist sees what is described here probably as, yes, that probably did happen in Roman time, uh, and then Rome fell, and then another empire would rise and false religions get mixed in there, and, and the people of God be oppressed, and then that one fell, and, and then there's another. So that typically, that's kind of how an idealist would look at this. There's, this is going to keep happening. This is kind of the playbook of the forces of darkness. Um, and there's good argumentation for that because of the seemingly cyclical nature of the book of Revelation. Okay, I know this is complicated. Um, <clears throat> There is clearly imagery and symbolism in the description of the beasts, and it's impossible to be sure when that starts and stops because of the nature of this book and the nature of these visions that John received, okay? Because of everything that I spent the time to lay out in the first part of the sermon, I want you to know that any of these positions I just laid out for you, they're within the realm of possibility. They're not something we will divide over as a church, uh, if folks want to have good faith, humble dialogue around these things, that is fine. But you deciding that you have it all figured out and anyone who disagrees with you is dumb, that approach is prideful and it's foolish and it misses the point. Okay? Amen. I had hoped for a slightly more enthusiastic reaction to that. Uh, so I'm hoping there's not a large percentage of you out there going, oh, this guy's an idiot. My revelation interpretation is the best one. If you made it through all that and you're still there, man, you got a hard head. Good on you, I guess. Lord help them. Uh, the book of Revelation is, is meant to challenge us towards holiness, keeping in mind that this world and this age will not last forever. A day is coming when, when all that sin made wrong, King Jesus will fully and finally make right. The book of Revelation is meant to encourage us towards holy boldness in the face of persecution. For even if we were to be killed for our allegiance to Christ, no one can take from us eternal life. The book of Revelation is meant to fill us with joyful hope because we get a view of the consummation of God's eternal plan of redemption made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Savior. These are the purposes of Revelation. These are the points we should get. But many times those points are missed. And this becomes a source of division and strife among God's people, which you can, you can just always bank on that not being the point. Okay? Hoi. Here's what I want to do. This is the end. 
To, to bolster the idea that I just gave you, what the real point of Revelation is, let me read you part of this vision that John got. It's a glimpse of the fulfilled promise to all who would acknowledge that they are imperfect sinners, surrendering their hearts and lives to King Jesus because they trust him and believe only he can save him. This is a glimpse of the fulfilled promise we're going to have in Christ. I'm going to read you this. This is from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. May it be so. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for the book of Revelation. As as difficult as it can be for us to understand, as as, as much deception has been spun out of false teaching from this, Uh, as much division as people have been able to cause as a result of it. Lord, we know your purposes in giving us this book are good. And Lord, please help us. Anytime we approach the book of Revelation, the prophecies contained within it, Lord, may we keep those, those great purposes in mind. That your intention is to spur us towards holy boldness in the face of whatever the forces of darkness may throw at us. That it's to encourage us towards humility, standing before you and and knowing, God, that you often do things in ways we would not expect. And that it's meant to encourage us towards eternal hope. Knowing that if our faith is placed in you, if we've received the grace that only you supply, that we have eternal hope and it can't be taken from us. Lord, I ask that we would keep these things in mind. I ask, Lord, that you would equip your people um, Allow us, help us, empower us to to have fruitful, humble conversations among ourselves as we we work through the contents of not only the book of Revelation, but other hard places to understand in your scriptures, prophecies, some of the stuff Jesus said, Lord. There's things that many times are just not readily and apparently clear, but God, may we remember most of all and most importantly, that when we find ourselves in that place, We First of all, we run to you for help. We run to the help of your Holy Spirit, our great teacher. But also, we stay humble and we remember the things we know for sure about you and let that help us interpret what we don't know. Because what we know about you for sure is that you are good and you are powerful. You are holy. You are majestic, high and lifted up. 
that when you say you will do something, you do it. That your promises are true always. That you are faithful and holy. Lord, let those things that are very clear help us to work through and interpret the things that are less clear. We love you, Master. We need your help in these things. We thank you for the help you've already provided us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.